warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just a hint of professionalism. Happy Christmas, everybody. It is our Christmas episode. It's our fourth one, unbelievably. And as it's our Christmas episode, I'm joined by both of my co-hosts today. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. Good morning. And, and we're actually quite close to Christmas this year. I think previously we recorded like early November. Um, it's normally the summer. <laughs> yeah, not... Within a month, to be honest. I mean, sometimes we get into the stage where we're recording 18 months ahead for, for now. So, yeah, we're doing well. Not too bad. I think we're 28 days till Christmas. So, we're just at the tail end of November. We've all watched this movie in the last sort of 24, 48 hours. Did it feel a bit weird watching it? Is it a Christmas movie, first of all? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. This is why we're both. I've got you both on the show for that wonderful consensus there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it opens up with a, a, a man dressed up as Santa um, collecting money for a hospice. So it's set at Christmas. It's just a vain attempt to find a Christmas movie that isn't Love Actually or Nativity, basically. And we've managed it three times previously, and we've cracked it again this year. I think. Yes. Um, you know, we, we've trying to avoid just uh, defaulting to different versions of Christmas Carol. Yep, that would be the Although, next step. Mm, no, um, I'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> but yes, it's it's we could you know quite easily uh, you know default to that. Or I don't know whether they did you know Christmas episodes of Step Two and Son or something. We might get they, to that. They did, yeah, loads. Point. They did about three, I think. Yeah. So we might get to that. That's the next three years covered then, before we go to Love Actually. Is Love Actually that bad? Are we really desperately avoiding it? Yes. Uh... <laughs> See, I don't mind it. I don't mind Love Actually. I'm a bit. Yeah, but you're a bit odd out, aren't you? Really. <laughs> I mean. It has its it has its perks, love actually. Yeah, and I'm quite happy to to you know avoid it for a while, but there will yeah. come a time where we've got to actually look at it otherwise it's going to be get santa with jim broadbent or you know like i say the, the the 17 nativity movies that are out there now where i mean there is we'll, we'll see how long we can last then yeah okay but today's movie it's it, it's a hammer film from 1961 starring the great peter cushing andre morel and, and my personal favorite richard vernon is in this as well there is a tenuous link to christmas it's cash on demand. We'll be back after this. This is the Habersham branch of the City and Colonial Bank, in a quiet provincial town where nothing ever happens. 
But about 10 o'clock on the morning of December the 23rd, as these doors are open for business, the most startling, terrifying two hours of this man's life will commence. I walk into this bank this morning, hand a card over the counter, and immediately I'm shown in here and left alone with Fordyce. I could have stuck a gun in his ribs as soon as the door closed. If I may say so, sir, you don't look much like a gunman. What does a gunman look like? Like this? Don't do anything, Fordyce. They'll die if you move or say a word. What is it you want? Mm -hmm. Just some money. get away with it. Unfortunate for your family if I don't. Starring Peter Cushing as the bank manager, the martinet who lives for his work <laughs> and almost dies for it. Andre Morel as Hepburn. His was the moment a thousand thieves had dreamt of. We've been a year setting up this operation. There isn't the smallest detail of your branch which is not known to me. Try to remember I've only to make one of several pre-arranged gestures at that window and your wife would be subjected to the most unbearable torture. Up to now, you've made all the threats. I'll make only one. If anything happens to my family, I'll kill you. I swear I will. Cash on Demand, released in the UK, 1961, directed by Quentin Lawrence, starring Peter Cushing, Andre Morel and Richard Vernon. The synopsis, this tense and hugely entertaining heist thriller is Hammer's take on A Christmas Carol. Need to talk about that. Which pits miserly and fastidious bank manager, played by Peter Cushing, against debonair robber Andre Morel as a plot to rob a bank on Christmas Eve unfolds in almost real time. Which it does when you think about it, because he says, doesn't he, at one point, you know, for the next 50 minutes you're going to do what I ask, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm going to start out, I usually start out with this one. I need to know if you guys had seen this movie before you watched it this week. Never. Okay. Yes. Yep, I had previously and forgotten most of it. Stephen, did you remember a lot of it? Yeah, this is, um, I watched it last Christmas ah. and... Um, it, I think I watched it probably about two years before then. I've I've seen it four or five times. I think. Oh well, that's that's all right. So that's a Christmas tradition with you, almost. Almost now <laughs> it's become yeah. First time watch for you, Tony. It was on YouTube as well. You said last night. It was very handy. Yeah. Very handy indeed. Just going to double check. There's two versions out there because we've had this problem before with <laughs> extended versions. <laughs> I'm glad we're checking this now while we're recording the episode. Well, I only found this information out this morning. There's a one. Out- another tradition is to actually only check when we're on because we did that with um... Northwest Passage. Yes. No, well, there you go, yeah. everybody. We're going to get two reviews in no, the same North, recording. North, we did it with Northwest Frontier. Northwest Frontier is um, the other one as well. <laughs> 
Um, Every and, time. Uh, yes, Scott watched the edited version. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so but, which version did you watch? What? How long was was it, Tony? For want of a better question. Oh, it's just over an hour, hour and twenty minutes. Something like That's that. That's fine because there is a sixty-seven minute version, which is the theatrical version. But the U- oh. but the US cut is one hour twenty. Right. So we've all watched the longer version, which, to be honest, it's so tight paced. This movie, there's very little fat on this at all. I couldn't imagine what they would have cut out. Yes, but um, the thing is, it was um, originally based upon um, a, a, an episode of a TV show, which obviously was less than an hour. Ah. So they've, they've padded out um, in order to to make it, you know, one hour and and twenty seven or whatever. So. Um, there must be something in there that, that I can't imagine really what um, is the padding, but certainly um, I felt like everything needed to be there to, for the story. I can't imagine anything they could have taken out that wouldn't have made it worse. Yeah, the, the whole thing is is very lean, isn't it? Even like the, the number of people in the cast, the number of sets, it's all very, very tight and, and sort of compact, isn't it, this movie? It's quite quite like a play. We often say when there's a small cast and a small number of locations, um, that it, it's you know theatrically in that sense. And certainly this is. I mean, you've you've got the bank itself with the the um, the, the front of house of the bank, and then the, the the manager's office, and then the vault, and then you've got a, a, you know the, the street immediately outside the bank. But otherwise, there's no other other scenes. Um, for it to actually be set in, and and yeah, I mean the cast is 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 you know incredibly small compared to some of the other films that we've watched. Um, so yeah, and it's done on a budget. I mean, it was you know Hammer didn't put a lot of money towards it, and that's that's you know something that's recorded at, um, somewhere in some description about it. Yeah. So, but I think the, I think they got good value out of the money. To be fair, thirty-seven thousand pounds was the budget. So. Um, Tony. Hello. First time watch, mate. Come on, what did you think then? Because I'm not too sure how you're going to react to certain movies, but this one, this one I've got high hopes for. Go on. I did enjoy it. Yeah. Actually, it's a first time watch. I did enjoy it. I don't think it's a Christmas film, just because it's <laughs> snowing and there's a Father Christmas standing there. I've seen Father Christmas is walking around and it's November. Yeah, we're, um, not, we're not saying it is a Christmas people, movie. Some but people we've... put the Christmas trees in November, though, Tony. So. Oh, exactly. So it dispels the whole Christmassy feel to it. Um, and yeah, <laughs> the nice little touch there of the calendar at the beginning of the movie, ready for the Christmas party and all that. But yeah, it, I enjoyed it for what it was. I did enjoy it. Yeah, I'd watch it again. Can I just ask you guys, is this set on Christmas Eve or the 23rd? 23rd? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought because. On Wikipedia, it says two days before Christmas, blah, blah, blah. But then on the back of the Blu-ray, it says on Christmas Eve. And a lot of the sort of like synopsis online says it takes place on Christmas Eve. But it isn't, is it? It's the 23rd. Yeah, as Tony said, the, the calendar gets turned um, at the beginning um, onto the 23rd. Um, so it's very clearly happening that day. So whoever wrote the back of the DVD um, is... An idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just you know, missed. Mildly. Yeah, uh, just, you just... know they should be disappointed in themselves, <laughs> and they should be embarrassed for the family. <laughs> Obviously, did not watch the beginning of the film. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, 
we've got Peter Cushing. Now, Peter Cushing is brilliant in this. Um, how would you describe him, Tony? What sort of a man is Peter Cushing as the bank manager? He's the man of men, isn't he? <laughs> He's very <laughs> firm, efficient, and I like it, and that's how he should be. That's how it should be today. Did you see any cues in that bank? <laughs> Two days before Christmas, not a cue. Yeah. Not a single cue. <laughs> they should play this as a training film if you could be going into the banking industry. This should, should be done. There should be more bank managers like Peter Cushing, basically. Yeah, definitely. Because there's there's a scene, isn't it, when Richard Vernon, who's his head clerk, who, you know, has been with the bank, as you say, like 11 years or something. And and he's just as efficient and just as, you know, well-ordered and, and rarely makes mistakes. But basically, the, Cushing virtually threatens him with a sack at one point. For What's this business with the missing tenor guys? Did you work that out? Yeah, yes. someone was paid too much money, wouldn't they? And they returned it. Yeah, but then it wasn't... It was initialed by... Richard Vernon's character, wasn't it? Because the clerk gets pulled in about it. Um, and they just said it was a genuine mistake. You know, there was no underhand sort of dealings going on. But Cushing, being this really efficient guy, as you say, mate, is, is, is just not having none of it. Absolutely none of it. And this is where the comparisons to Scrooge sort of come in. Because we do see a change in Peter Cushing's character at the end. Yes, and I think that's you know that there's more to it with the comparison um, that it, it you know because of his austere um, and unchristmasy attitude and the way that is you know his colleagues his workers do basically rally around him and and he is um, sa- you know saved basically by them and this mysterious figure that has come into his life randomly mm. um haunting him um has come in and, and taught him a, a a moral lesson um and the value of of money versus people yeah um, so that's you know where the comparison comes in but the money that was overpaid was returned and it was returned to himself as the as the bank manager but when the the books were reconciled at the end of the day. The money was right anyway, but he's trying to hammer them to say that there was some kind of conspiracy to defraud, which yeah. is a you know absolutely an outrageous accusation that um, they should have got the union in on. <laughs> 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 so we meet Andre Morel, who plays a guy called Gore Hepburn. Great name, Gore Hepburn. Colonel. Colonel Gore Hepburn. Who is from the insurance company that looks after the bank's insurance needs? Is that right? Yeah, that's what he or, says. Or yeah. Says it. By the way, I, I don't want to give away the ending to this movie uh, because a lot happens in the last ten minutes. We're going to have to find a point where we're going to have to say enough's enough here because yeah. I, I don't want to spoil it too much for anybody that hasn't seen it. Now, Gore Hepburn, played by Andre Morel. Hammer fans will recognise Andre Morell because he played Dr. Watson to Peter Cushing's Sherlock Holmes in The Hound of Baskervilles a couple of years earlier and also appeared with him, I think, in, you know, the famous BBC adaptation of 1984 in the mid-50s, 54. He was, yeah. in, that, he was in that with Peter Cushing as well. Um, and I've got a and he funny... was also in the uh, original TV episode, um, Gold Inside. Ah, uh, right, okay. 
um, it was a there was an anthology series called Theatre Seventy, which this was based upon one of those episodes, and um, both Richard Vernon and Andre Mayer were were um, the played the same parts. They play brilliant. They're, they're, they're reprising their their roles um, in this. So okay, do we know who played the bank manager in the original? Um, wasn't wasn't, really, wasn't Peter Cushing um, recognisable? It wasn't Peter Cushing. No. Okay. These are the only two that were reprising their roles. Okay. So basically, what happens? Gore Hepburn comes in, asks to see the manager, Peter Cushing. And Richard Vernon goes in. And Peter Cushing, being his usual sort of like officious self, says, "Well, you know, I don't see anybody without an appointment." And he hands in the business card and he sees that it's from the insurance company. Oh, you better let him in then. So Gore Hepburn goes into the bank and things rapidly turn out not to be as they appear to uh, to be. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a, a lot with regards to um, the way that the, the staff um, failings that um, Peter Cushing's character as the bank manager is, is, has been picking on plays into his own his own arrogance and not recognizing his own failings and ultimately his own standards aren't aren't as high as he's expecting from other people which again is an object lesson but it does you know that things unfold to put him in in you know in a, in a situation where he's um he, he's complying um with what's um Hmm. What, you know, what? The, the threat that he's, he's given. Right, so let's let's get this sequence of events right, guys, because obviously like, Richard Vernon's shown Gore Hepburn into the office and he says something about, well, look, I could have been anybody. You know, you, know, you didn't do any security checks, whatever. When do the suitcases come in? Is it before or after the phone call? Uh, after the phone call. After it? the phone call, yeah. So, yeah. Basically, what happens with the phone call, Tony? Uh, so, the phone call, it's um, the bank manager's wife and child mm. screaming and crying in the background, um, allegedly being tortured or yeah. threatened to be tortured. Now, this is a really bizarre method as well because Andre Manuel reaches over and cuts off the phone and he says, That is your wife and your son. We have got somebody with them at your house, and if you don't, and, and you've got fifty minutes, you know, to comply with what we're going to be doing, blah blah blah. But then doesn't he say I've got electrodes attached to her ears or something? <laughs> yeah, and um, she'll be electrocuted, and she'll never be the same again. Yeah. So the, the, rather than point, like, this is this is the thing. This whole bank robbery takes place without any weapons, no guns whatsoever. It's all done with words. Well, there is a gun, but it's the bank's gun. Yeah, which they keep for security, which wasn't loaded. There's no ammunition. Awesome. No, ammunition. Find the bullets, yeah. Yeah, no ammunition in it whatsoever. Yeah. Which um, he uses as a black mark against them, because it should be. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, so he's going it's for... mind games, <laughs> isn't it? That's what it is. That's <laughs> the weapon there. Going through this whole where, pretense, yeah. It's where, um, you know, Peter Cushion refers to him as a common cr- criminal, and he, he you know, says about the fact that he's... Um, sees himself as being um, better than that because he doesn't do it with, you know, with, in a crass way of coming in with a with a gun or, or sneaking in at night and, and breaking in and, yeah. and with uh, machinery to get into the vault and stuff. 
It's an so, intelligent robbery, isn't it? Basically? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Peter Cushing believes that his family are being held hostage. There's a series of signals that have to be made at the window because apparently there's a guy in a car that needs to see these signals to know that everything's going to plan. And how does Andre Morel get the suitcases in? It's just a bank staff. <laughs> yeah. He, when he's getting his car moved from the 20-minute parking um, outside of the um, the bank, because he yeah. doesn't want to break the law, um, <laughs> yeah. he, he gets his car moved round, and um, he primes Peter Cushing's character to to suggest that the, the bags are brought in because of, you know, leaving them unattended in the car, mm. um, which makes, you know, it come across to the bank employees that it's um, it's Peter Cushing's idea rather than it's um, the, the colonel's. Yeah, he's very clever, isn't he? The way he pushes everything on to Peter Cushing and the staff aren't going to argue with Peter Cushing because of the manner of the man that he is. Yeah, it's, it is that he's pushing, you know, making it look to all intents and purposes by the other people in the bank that, that how complicit and how involved Peter Cushing's character is. Um, so he's fully in it. We see them go into the vault. Now, the first thing I thought when I saw this vault, Tony and I worked together several years, and we worked in a building, Tony, that was an old bank. Do you remember? And it had a vault door exactly like that one. It did, it did, and I was always worried about crushing a part of my anatomy. <laughs> Your foot? Yeah, that's it. Foot, fingers, yeah. anything that dangles. Oh, yeah, I was, I was always worried about getting locked in there. We used it as a storeroom, didn't we, mate? And it was this huge, it was like eight inches thick, wasn't it, this door with the, with the big key? It was, and it was very peaceful when you was in there. <laughs> very, very peaceful. <laughs> So it's one of these old-fashioned bank vaults, and they go in, and I think it's £93,000 I've read somewhere is, is the amount of money that is being put into the suitcases. What was in the suitcases before? Uh, clothes. The, some blankets and the um, nine or 12 or whatever volumes of the um, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Exactly, yeah, to give it Oh, some there you work. go, then. It shows how much I was paying attention. Yeah. Oh, Andre Morel says to him, have you read The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire? And he says, no, I don't think I have. And he, he, he takes the books out of the suitcase because that's what's been waiting down the cases. Tells him he'll have time to read it because of... Um, He's going to have to wait an hour before he can do anything after he's left, so he'll have time to, to start reading them then. That was it, because he's going to be, somebody's going to be watching the bank when Andre Morel makes his getaway. So £93,000 goes into the suitcases, but then a wad of fivers goes into Peter Cushing's pocket? Yeah. He, when they're, they're putting the money in the bags... He takes the opportunity, and I don't know how much it's pre-planned, how much it's just opportunism, to slip um, some into his um, jacket pocket, no. um, mm. which is obviously incriminating potentially. Uh, if you know, for later, may have just been done as a joke, but it, it comes back later on a little bit. See, because while all this is going on, because Richard Vernon and the rest of the staff have had a roasting from from Peter Cushing, they're trying to ring the insurance company's head office to check the identity of Andre Morel. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. 
So it makes me wonder, like you said, Stephen, how much that was premeditated putting the money in his pocket. Was it part of the plan? Or was it? did he notice that they were... Because he went out, didn't he? Andre Morel goes out into the main part of the bank, which is when Richard Vernon's got the gun and he's waving it at him, even though it's yeah. empty. And you think for a minute that he's, you know, for a split second, you think Richard Vernon's worked it all out. I'm, I'm wondering at that point, he sort of twigs that he's sort of been rumbled a little bit, so he puts the money into Cushing's pocket. Possibly. I think that there's also this, this bit where all along... In it, he's finding ways to incriminate um, Peter Cushing's character, such as making him be the one that's that brings in the the baggage. He's the one that suggests to Richard Vernon's character that he leaves his key um, with them, and, and rather than stays with them in the vault. It's step by step. It's you know putting more of it on that you know should things come to light um, after he's he's left. It'll look very bad for Peter Cushing, and he's going to have a, a job of explaining um, how it looks like he was, you know, an accomplice, um, willing accomplice, and he's actually profited from it. And I suppose the money in his pocket does show that he's been part of it rather than being an innocent bystander. God, I don't want to give away the ending because we're, we're, we're rap, rattling through yeah. this because it's a very short film. Okay, guys, so without giving too much away. Peter Cushing is, is given a set of instructions that he has to signal out of the window. Now, what's the signal, Tony? What does he have to do? I can't remember what he has to do at the window. He um, has to mop his brow, doesn't he? He's got to wipe his head. <laughs> Very theatrically as well. Yeah. Does he say he has to do it twice? In the sort of... it, it does. <laughs> and it has to be at certain times. You know, when the clock struck, he sort of runs to the window. <laughs> so he's given these instructions while Andre Morel makes his getaway. But as we say, in the meantime, the rest of the bank staff have been sort of checking Andre Morel's identity, basically, just to try and find out if he is who he says he is. I don't want to. T- I don't want to go much further than this, guys, because yeah. it's at this point, it, you've got to be careful at this point. I mean, because we will get into spoilers, unfortunately. I mean, the, the obviously the the technology of the time. Um, you know, means that they're phoning through to try and get hold of the the, the sort of head office to to find out the identity and double check and verify um, Andrew Morel as you know identity. Mm. Um, it you know the phone calls don't really go through, and that you know it has to be reattempted, and and that puts the delays in that allows that the the plot to move on with regards to the scheme. Um, and that, you know, helps helps move it along and, and give us that peril that you're talking about with regards to have they discovered him yet or not, which, you know, it adds adds to the, the, the suspense. Did you feel any suspense, Tony, at this point? Was it was it getting sort of like, oh, is, is he going to get away with it? Is Peter Cushing going to suddenly turn into this badass character that's going to, like, save the day? I mean, did you know where this was going to go? I didn't. Yeah. It became suspenseful for me mm. when they were leaving the vault, and I'm not going to say any more. Yes, because um, there's a very specific flashy light. time and shutting things, and yes, yeah, yeah, uh, and that's where it started going a bit more tense for me. Yeah, uh, up until a little bit later on, because we haven't got this. You know, we so say there's no guns, there's no sort of real threat apart from what we perceive to be the threat on the end of a telephone line, which is that Cushing's family is being held hostage. So 
it's, it's just a great character study of watching Peter Cushing change from this man that has everything in control to suddenly like losing control and having to be dictated to by this guy, knowing that his family's in danger and becoming a completely different man. I think that is the highlight of this movie for me, is watching Peter Cushing's character transform. Yeah, it's breaking down the almost arrogant facade where he's um, very austere and, and, you know, looks to being um, the perfectionist. But, you know, he has his own feelings and obviously it's highlighted in a certain way about other than his his wife and child, he doesn't really have any any loved ones in his life. He doesn't have friends and and stuff. Um, And that him cutting himself off in that way and being so cold isn't the beneficial thing but also the way he is gradually realizing that he's he's got his own weaknesses and his own feelings and how different bits and pieces that he has not done correctly throughout processes and and perhaps his life in more general does slowly break him down and stop him from being from the start the man who comes in that described himself as as the general um of his troops with regards to the the staff in there yeah. he you know quickly comes down a peg or two and then realizes that he's a man without any real control in that sense and uh, at best he's a a big fish in a very small pond he becomes basically the sort of thing that he really despises he becomes somebody that's quite emotional you know it's he, he transforms it's, it's it's like he's playing two people it's really good really good bit of acting from peter cushing what we're going to do it's a very small cast as we said so we're going to take a brief little trip up to the village hall of fame with Stephen. Stephen, hopefully the Village Hall of Fame wasn't too taxing this week for you, mate. No, it's one of the lighter ones, particularly uh, <laughs> considering some of the previous ones that we've done in the last uh, few episodes that have sometimes been been bulk um, <laughs> to the extent when I haven't been able to discuss really what films the people have been in because yeah. there's been so many people. Yeah. Um, but we've got a better, better um, chance this time. As we said, it's quite a slim cast mm. um, and a number of the people... Um, weren't actually you know, haven't been anything else as such that we've that we've done yet okay. so we do have somebody making their second appearance um and that's uh, a guy called jimmy can jimmy cairns mm-hmm. um who was previously in uh, night to remember <laughs> what a surprise yeah um <laughs> there's always got to be one uh, so um but we do have three people making uh, their debuts in in the Village Hall of Fame. Oh, and three, three appearances. Three so, inductees nice. out of a cast of yeah. about six people. Incredible. Yeah. Okay, let's do so, it. Um, there's a guy called Barry Lowe. Is um, he the young clerk? He is. Right. Yeah. Um, and he was um, also in um, Quatermass and uh, Quatermass 2. Hammer Productions. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yep. Um, so that was uh, useful, yeah. Hmm. Um, there's a guy called 
Gareth Tandy, who was also in Night to Remember, and he was also in Violent Playground. Okay. Um, not the only person to have been in Violent Playground. We'll get onto that. And then there's Richard Vernon, Ray. which obviously we, we have a lot more awareness of. Um, he was in Goldfinger and Sapphire. Of course he was, um, yes. Interesting in, in this um, film, Richard Vernon um, does actually affect a bit more of a of a, um, a London accent. Yes. Um, rather, yeah. than, rather than the usual plummy um, aristocratic one, he tries to come across as being a bit more... Uh, a bit more of the common man versus um, Peter Cushion's character. Exactly, uh, yeah. And which, you know, it, it's... Otherwise, you'd have a, a situation where it was like Dad's Army, where you were just the about to say second, Wilson, second in command, more, more um, and that's in the bank as well. Um, just about to say Wilson. So, yeah. yeah, so that's good to have the, those three uh, making their, their entry mm. uh, into the Village Hall of Fame. We have three people making their fourth appearances. I didn't realise there so was that many got, people uh, in the cast. Yeah, well, okay. this is it. Yeah. yeah, we've got Norman Bird. I forgot about Norman was, Bird. Um, yes. Yeah. Who was one of the uh, bank clerks? In fact, he's the one that we uh, mentioned previously was um, changing the the calendar yeah. um, at the beginning of the film. It's, it seems like he was his character was a previously a corporal in the army um, and also um, a chess champion, so which is uh, quite useful. Um, <laughs> we find those details out. Um, he was previously in Legal Gentleman, uh, Police, uh, and Whistle Down the Wind. Then we have uh, a guy called Peter Cushing. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard of him, yep. You might have heard of him, yeah. He was in uh, Doctor Who. He was in Lolita and Violet Playground, as uh, I previously mentioned uh, Gareth Tandy was, so they were together in that. Oh. And then uh, Andre Morel uh, was in Ten Rillington Place, The Man Who Never Was, and Seven Days to Noon. There you go. Incredible. Yeah, that was quite useful. Uh, we do have one person making their fifth appearance. I can't think of anybody else. Okay. Um, Paddy Smith, his name is. <laughs> okay, yeah. He was in Cruel Sea, Doctor in the House, Heavens Above, and The Rebel. And then finally... <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, carry finally on. We've got some, we've got, finally, we've got somebody making their ninth appearance. I didn't um, even look at the cast list because I didn't think there was this many. Okay, mate, ninth. A, a, a guy called Graham Tunbridge. Do we know who, who he played in this? Um, let me just double check who Gareth Tunbridge played. Um, I believe he was um, either either the Santa um, or <laughs> no. one of the people that came into the bank. Um, no, um, a proper bit part player. Let me. I'm just having yeah. a look now. Oh, he's, he's bank customer. He was bank customer. Oh my yeah. god! So Gareth Tandy that we mentioned previously played the voice of the sun on the end of the phone so so yeah so he wasn't even um, on screen yeah and jimmy jimmy cairns that i mentioned right at the beginning he, he was the the um the santa outside the uh the building right at the beginning <laughs> collecting money um, for the hospice um but yes uh graham tunbridge was in doctor in the house doctor no legend man of the moment night to remember one good turn trouble in store and waking ned <laughs> that's incredible it, it's it's uh, even with a cast list of well, looking at the cast, there's a lot of uncredited on on IMDb. Yeah. But speaking parts, there's probably only six. I would say six or seven at the very, very most. The producer of this is obviously a, a, a frequent um, appearance with regards to the um, 
the films that we've been watching because it's uh, Michael Carreras, but we don't usually do producers and things. But he's uh, basically one of the main Hammer producers, so yeah, yeah. Um, it's probably not worth touching on on him with regards to the films. But um, yeah, the 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 young lad, um, you know, his picture is actually you do actually see him because you see a picture of him on the desk. That's so right. Yeah, you know, yeah. you do actually see the lad. Um, yes, it's a, a slim cast. Um, you know, thankfully. There's only, I think the it records IMDb if I remember correctly. It's about 15 people um, in total, credited and uncredited. Mm. So it certainly is a lot less than such as Cruel Sea or <laughs> Night whatever that we did. Yeah, Night's um, Remember will be the one. Yeah. Am I right in thinking the director also directed the TV version, the original? Uh, Golden Sight, yes, I believe he did. Yeah, Quentin yeah. Lawrence, yeah. So. Yeah. So he just transferred yeah. straight over. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that's uh, all. And, and say it carries on the, the the theme, and I, you know, you know, reprised the roles for Andre Morrell and, and Richard Vernon at least. So um, at one point, before I knew that they were reprising roles, it did occur to me. I wonder what it would have been like if it was Christopher Lee playing the the Colonel. Um, what that would have been like <laughs> as a film. Ooh, but, um, I think and, Andre Morrell does a, an uh, an absolute spot-on job of it to be fair so i wouldn't i wouldn't want to replace him no no as i say there's a very good chemistry between the two of them because andre morel is very smooth he's very level-headed and peter cushing who is usually very level-headed and and methodical starts to break down as andre morel just keeps his cool and takes control basically of this whole situation um, it's a great sort of double play. It's a great and bit of interaction between them. Yeah, and it's like he says that you know at one point um, when he has to get a bit more harsh with Peter Cushion, he does say about you know he, he shouldn't mistake his um, inability to repress his charm with um, the fact that he's not intent upon achieving his his goal and will do anything um, to to get there. Yeah, sort of thing. So that you know, that does show that you know he's, he's coming across as being the charming conman, etc. But he is actually a, 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 a he is a criminal and, and a hardened um, fellow underneath it who you know will do what stop at nothing to to get his his ill-gotten gains. Hmm. Tony, final thoughts, mate. What did you think of this first time watch for you, mate? I know you you said you had to watch it in two viewings, didn't you? Because you you nodded off, bless you, during the first one. I did unfortunately nod off. It wasn't because of the films, just because no. I was tired. Mm. Um, no, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, overall, it's actually quite a simple film, isn't it? There's yeah. a lot going on, but it's not all, like you say, it's not all guns and car chases, and it's all sort of very restrained. Very clever, is, isn't it? Because it's all done with very, words. Very, very clever. Yeah, and, and so there's that element of tension there for you as well, a little bit of suspense, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah, it, it's, it's all one big mind game really isn't it the yeah. whole thing but yeah no, I enjoyed it and I'll definitely watch it again but not necessarily at Christmas not necessarily at Christmas doesn't have up, to be yeah. watched at Christmas does it okay. no no <laughs> final thoughts from Stephen what did you think mate yeah I mean I, I do very much like this film I do uh, see it as a Christmas film I do see it as being um, in some ways a, a, a twist on the, the Christmas carol um Scrooge 
element because it, it does involve uh, an austere um, man of money who's, who's treating his workers quite harshly, who um, then learns a morality tale from a, a, a mysterious visitor um, and comes out the other side with his, you know, relying upon the charity of um, his underlings and who are good human beings and are willing to just forgive him to save the day, basically, and, and back him back him up. Um, and that is, is one of the elements. Uh, for me, there's also, I think, a bit of a hint of um, Inspector Calls. Okay. Um, just because of the way that he's coming in and, and in some ways highlighting the failings of these people by um, getting them to expose those failings in their own behaviours and, and talking about themselves in a way, uh, which he does with Peter Cushing and the fact that he's doesn't engage with his staff, he doesn't join in the, the, the Christmas party, you know, he doesn't um, get to know them about their the fact that, you know, their prize winning um, chess players are uh, whatever and I think that you know there's, there's an element in, in there of both things and I do think that's why it, the comparison that it's um, got an element of, of Christmas Carol Scrooge in there I think it is, is well founded and even though it could potentially be seen as a bit a bit of a, a stretch or, or pretentious I do think yeah, I do yeah. see that in it myself to be honest and I think it is in it, like Tony says it's well written there's not car chases and explosions and violence and all this kind of stuff it's it's dialogue quite dialogue heavy but it's it seems like every little bit of it is there for for a reason that's what makes it enjoyable that you can you know to some extent see some little bits and pieces or realize later on in the film something you saw earlier on that you might have just glanced over actually does matter so it, it is a good film i think it deserves not only for people to go out and try and find it to watch i do think on the other side i think people you know you know some people like myself will enjoy re-watching it and as for me well I, I enjoyed it it's only the first well second time i think i've seen this now and yeah not strictly a christmas movie but we'll we'll latch on to any sort of christmas references that we can to be honest uh for me the highlight is the interplay between andre morel and Peter Cushing. It's just this cat and mouse thing that really does shine throughout the picture. Okay, so that's Cash on Demand from 1961. Don't necessarily have to watch it at Christmas, as we say, but as Tony found out, it's available on YouTube. So, you know, if you've got a spare hour and 20 minutes, it's well worth your time. We're going to be back in the new year. Let's take a break, and we'll be back after this to tell you exactly what we've got in store for you. guys so that's the christmas episode we're not going to do a new year episode we struggled last year didn't we guys i think peter's friends i think was the only new year's movie we could think of at the time 
Yeah, we made a one-off then with Peter's <laughs> friends just because it just happened to yeah. fall in our laps at the at the time. Really, yeah. I think it's very difficult to get New Year films that um, you know we're struggling enough with Easter. So let's not, <laughs> yeah, so let's not make a rod for our own make, back. Make ourselves even more difficult. <laughs> yeah. What we've got coming up so far, we've got five or six things in the pipeline, but the ones that are definitely locked in, ready to go. Our next episodes, we're going to be back in Hammer Territory with the next in the Hammer Horrors with our good friend Mark. And it's the Curse of Frankenstein. So we're going definitely into Peter Cush and Christopher Lee territory with that one. The next time the three of us are together, it was Stephen's choice. And it was went the day well, mate, wasn't it? was, yes, absolutely. I think... Um... I think I'll enjoy hearing Tony's uh, opinions on that because we've already uh, well familiar with, um, you know, seen Thor heard a bit. So, um, so yes, uh, that'll be that'll be a fun one. But I think it's also you know it's a proper drama anyway. It's not a comedy, so it's, it's that'll a to- be it's something a to- forward to. It's a Tony film. It's a definite yeah. Tony movie that one. So. <laughs> He's got a type, has he? Yeah. On IMDb, it lists, you know, yeah. Tony film as, as a category. Four yeah. stars, Tony Blanford. You know, it's at the bottom of the poster. <laughs> it'll be there, you know. Well, I liked it. I liked Thora Heard, he'll say at the bottom or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and sort of after that, I think we've got Mike Lee's Life is Sweet penciled in. We've got some guests coming in. I think we've got Fish Called Wander and Scum possibly in the pipeline in the early part of the new year. Oh, scum. <laughs> is that a, a nod of approval? Personal favourite. Is it? Oh. Oh, it is. Excellent. It might be worth dragging you along for that one as well, then, mate. The only reason I don't have a greenhouse. <laughs> or a pool table, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, you know, the Hammer series will continue. We're going to continue with the Bonds and the Norman Wisdoms and everything we've got put in place over the last four years. So... Big year for us, guys. Fifth anniversary in June, July. Yes. Yeah. Five long years. <laughs> Tedious long years. <laughs> oh, glad to hear you're enjoying it. So, <laughs> Yeah, 100%. That's it for today, mate. It's, all that's left is for me to wish you both a very happy Christmas and a happy new year. And I'll see you both very soon. Cheers, guys. Take care. Thank you. Happy Christmas. See you next year. Take care.
bring the British end up, sir. I'm sick of pains. <laughs>